What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome podcast it is your host rob Dosser. i'm joined by my partners in crime the one and only john Fanta, who is currently sitting in the lobby of a courtyard marriott in providence rhode island there's no place better as fanta we have some big breaking news to share on this podcast our, our the third member of our team the one and only terrence oglesby the best shooter to ever come out of the acc clemson's finest is now officially a big east guy How big east guy that? How do you feel Big about East that? Guy. Got him on board, baby. Big East guy, let's go. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Huge Big East guy. I've never seen anybody in a courtyard Marriott in a better mood in, in Rhode <laughs> Island than John Fanta after these past four games, man. How good has the Big East been? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The surprise of college basketball, the conference 26-2 and two to start the season. And for a league that only sent four to the NCAA tournament last year, we would all agree that heading into this season, there were a lot of questions being asked about how would this league shape up? And what we have seen is programs with a DNA, an identity of the way they play, programs with damn good coaches. Coaches, yes. that, coaches that either brand new in the case of Shaka Smart at Marquette, we'll get to that, or coaches who have stayed around and now call that place home like Kevin Willard in year 12 at Seton Hall when he's done there. We'll get to that too. The Big East Conference has made the statement of all statements to start this college hoop season for the good. This is how on Selection Sunday, if there's a debate going on in in the committee room of five teams from this league, six teams from this league, even seven teams, this is how you get bids. As a conference, this is how you build your profile. And what we have seen, all four underdogs, some of them healthy underdogs, coming up huge and winning games that are very, very difficult to win, especially in the second week of the season. The Big East having a banner, 48 hours. Terrence Oglesby, welcome to the Big East, guys. And I was so excited about this that I flew all the way to Providence just to be in a courtyard because Providence is where the Big East was founded. That's big time stuff. That's big time stuff, man. I, I don't even have anything to come back with except for, man, I love Seton Hall. It's my kind of conference because it was founded over pasta and meatballs. There you go. Rhode Island. It was there the- you go. That's the- all you need to know right there. That was over an Italian meal, Rob. <laughs> um, all right. So let's 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 talk about this Seton Hall Michigan game. Um First and foremost, the, your point about how good this is for the league, fan, that should not be something that is overlooked. When it comes to NCAA tournament time and when it comes to the computer numbers that are required to be able to earn yourself an at-large bid, having these non-conference wins and the performance in non-conference is massive. As they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. 
this win that Seton Hall just had at Michigan is going to go down as one of the best wins in college basketball this season. Yes. Whether Michigan ends up a top 15 team, a top five team, whatever it is, that is a road win against a great program. I don't know that there are going to be 10 road wins against teams that are ranked better than Michigan all season long. What that's going to do is it's going to raise Seton Hall's computer numbers. Every time a Big East team plays Seton Hall after the fact, it's going to look better in the metrics. Same thing for Marquette landing that win over Illinois. It doesn't matter that Kofi Coburn's not, not there. That's not going to be relevant in the net. That's not going to matter in Ken no. Palm's algorithm. So that's going to raise the number that Marquette is. So instead of maybe being like an 80-ish kind of team in those rankings, maybe they're 50s or 60s. That means every time you play them, suddenly, you know, a, a road win um, against Marquette, if they're in the top 75, that's a quad one win instead of being a quad two win. And when they break that stuff down at the end of the day, that stuff matters. Um, specifically, though, I do want to talk about Seton Hall. Um, we, we've teased it on this pod for a while that that is a team that is going to be a sleeper. That is a team that people need to pay attention to. The length, the athleticism, the toughness, the defense. T.O., I know from your text last night that you were blown away by this team. Um, I don't know how much you saw them before the season started, but, but like, what are your first impressions? What are your takeaways? Give me everything you got on the fighting Kevin Willards. The length, man, the length of that squad. And man, they went up against a Michigan team that was really big as well, but their switchability one through four, and then probably the best rim protector. What did, what did uh, Obiago end up with blocks wise? He had to have had, gosh, he, what he only had, they list. They gave him four blocks. They gave him four but, but blocks. He, but he, but he, that was. It was definitely higher than four blocks. Yeah, it was higher than. And he disrupted a lot of shots too. Like when after that first half, guys were a little bit more hesitant to get in there. I really like Roden. I think the Paul Pierce comparison that they kept throwing out there. I think that's a little much because Paul Pierce is a dude. Like that's a little much. But he is a really good player that could be a NBA basketball player very soon. Uh, I will say this for. Seton Hall, to be as good as what I think they can be, two things have to happen. That version of Bryce Aiken blew that game open in the second half. I, I know there were a lot of other factors, but his ability to get into the paint when he was healthy with his quickness and ability to really handle the basketball, it was really fun to watch. He's just so shifty. He's got a certain smoothness about him off the dribble. He's a guy that can get in there and pitch out, and he doesn't overdo it when he's in there. He's an X factor. He needs to stay healthy. Another thing, guys, like they got a lot of the guys. Obiagu needs to be some kind of offensive presence. He doesn't have to be a huge offensive presence, but he has to be reliable. They tried to throw it to him on a couple of rolls, and he turned it over. He's got to at least be reliable as a finisher around the rim, you don't, you don't have to throw it into him. And, and matter of fact, don't throw it into him. Like, just don't. But he's got to be somebody that can at least catch and dunk, catch and quick finish. Because without that, they're driving to the basket to get some of these things. But those two guys, if those two guys turn up to a point to where I think they can, I think Obiagu can do that. Just catch and finish. Dunker spot, catch and dunk. He can do that. Bryce Aiken's got to stay healthy. If that team stays healthy, they not only – make a run at the Big East. But, man, who are they going to play in the NCAA tournament in the first round that they're not going to be able to play with? Like, from a league perspective, if Richmond, you know, he, he didn't play great last night, but he was there and playing good defense and switchable well, and all he, that stuff. To me, to me, he's the difference maker, right? And, and for, I think Aiken's the difference maker. Well, Aiken's the, the because they don't start him. Yeah, but here's – no, so I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. 
But Kadari Richmond is the guy that could end up being a lottery pick on the team. Bryce Aiken kind of is what he is, right? You're going to get him for 20 games. You know that when he comes in, he's going to be kind of a microwave off the bench. I think you could say the same thing about Trey Jackson, though, who had 13 off the bench last night. Jameer Harris had uh, had eight off the bench. Like They got 34 points from their guards off the bench. Kadari Richmond did nothing. He is the guy that takes that defense from being really, really good when you have one of those little guards on the floor to being like unfuckwithable when he's on the floor. And you have four guys that are six foot seven with length and athleticism with Ike Biagu at the rim. If you yeah. can get him to be something of a like he was a zero last night offensively. Let's just call it call yeah. it what he is. He was bad. If you can get him being the guy, I, he didn't even need to be a lottery pick, man. Just get him being like a plus contributor on the offensive end of the floor, Fanta. To me, that's what takes this team from really, really good to like, well, you know, I, I think Villanova's going to have a fight on their head. Hey, big, 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 big East guy here. Big, big East guy here. Yep. Lottery pick talk is ridiculous. Hey, look. It's ridiculous. I, I hear like, you. I, I love you. I love you, Doster, and I love the heat right now. We're bringing the, the Big East. But no, lottery I pick, hear you. But not, it's, it's, he's, he's not that. Like, he's not yeah, that. I, that's what I'm saying is that if you watch the way that he could pass, so you watch the way that he can make the reads off ball screens, and he ends up adding the jump shot at his size and length, like there are some – a lot of ifs. Non, yeah, non-insane Shea Gilgis-Alexander comparisons. But what he was last night, what like he couldn't even – he shouldn't have played yesterday over any of the guys off the bench. And and be able to, to be talking about like first-round pick stuff, you're right. That, that's a little too much right now. Fanta, I keep cutting you off. I know you got something to say. I see you over there. What do you got? Well, I think let's look at the knowns here with this team. Let's look at the knowns so before we get to those variables here. Because let's face it, they beat the fourth-ranked team in the country. Yes. Last time. So when you say like for them to be at their best, let's look here in the now. In the now, this team was down double digits at the Chrysler Center, at a sold-out Chrysler Center with 14 minutes on the clock. Then they're down by eight with seven minutes on the clock. And they did not give in. They did not give in. Their ability to hold Hunter Dickinson to one made field goal in the final 15 minutes of the game is nothing short of outstanding defense and a will, a will. And that's a credit to Kevin Willard, who is a Rick Pitino disciple. He coaches up defense. Seton Hall played outstanding defensive basketball. This was a high-level college basketball game. It was not a particularly outstanding offensive college basketball game. In fact, at times, offense was a little bit tougher to come by. The deflections, the length. This team is 22nd in average height in college basketball and showed it in this game last night. They do have a professional. Forget the lottery pick on Richmond for a second. They have a professional who I think will get his name called probably in the second round of the draft. Jared Roden is playing like a pro and drove the basketball to the rim like a pro. And I want to put things in perspective for a moment here uh, before we get to some of the other variables with this team. Seton Hall from 2002 to 2020 had one NBA draft pick. His name is Isaiah Whitehead, lifted the Pirates to a Big East title in 2016. They're now on the cusp of having an NBA draft pick in back-to-back seasons with Mamu Kelashvili and Roden. This is a school that, frankly, guys, it's not an easy job. You're trying to recruit to Newark, New Jersey. Let's look at last night, like when everyone says Big East, Big Ten, here's the facts. I I have a degree from, from Seton Hall University. Oh, I couldn't tell. The enrollment of the university is 5,900 undergrad, 5,900 students undergrad. The enrollment of Michigan undergrad is 46,000. You're, you're not talking about – this isn't on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, Juwan Howard gets a contract extension before the game. 
with football money. Yeah. This was the statement of all statements 32 years after that controversial 1989 national championship game. Don't tell me it doesn't matter. The players knew it mattered. The fan base oozing in South Orange, New Jersey, uh, as much as oozing can be. It's, it's an outstanding win, and it's a testament to Willard, who seemingly makes things work a lot via the transfer portal. Trey Jackson coming in from Missouri. Aiken coming from Harvard. Trey Jackson played his ass off. And, and look, in the long term, here's where I look at Rob's point on Richmond. Seton Hall got nothing from Kadari Richmond last night and beat Michigan. That's not going to be the case come January and February. That's what and I'm saying. That's, and that's why this team is especially intriguing, only because, T.O., the one concern with Aiken always is he has dealt with injuries throughout his career, and so it's kind of an X variable. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. Richmond is someone who, if he could could be that variable that swings them from being a good team to being a great team that could make the second weekend, and and who knows from that point on. Yeah, I I, want to say two things, and I'm going to throw it to you, T.O. First and foremost, this is – this is what you expect a Seton Hall identity to be on a basketball team, right? Like you mentioned, Fano, this was a great basketball game. It was not a pretty offensive game. Like if Seton Hall is going to win basketball games, that's what they have to do. That's what their program has to be. And I think that's what Willard recruits to and coaches to. I think he understands like what it has to be. And two, your point about how tough of a job that is. Like he was almost fired five years ago. Jeff Goodman talks about this all the time. He, uh, Willard's talked about this before. Um, he was very close to losing his job because of the way that he started at that program. Then he went out and um, I believe he, uh, he hired, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Well, he hired Tiny Morton. That's what it was. Yeah. He hired Tiny Morton. All of a sudden he got that class. that was Isaiah Whitehead and, um, and Delgado and uh, Rodriguez. And like the, um, who was the, uh, you got Rodriguez, Delgado, Whitehead, Kadeen Carrington. And and I, I got to bring this up on the recruiting aspect. This is a really interesting lesson, I think, for a coach anywhere in the sport, okay? So I was talking with um, a couple of coaches at Summer League this past summer, and we we started to talk about Kevin Willard. Right. And and a couple of coaches said, you know, talking with Kevin, Kevin, throughout his first couple years at Seton Hall, was, was trying to be someone and trying to do something that he wasn't. Sometimes coaches get away from who they actually are. Another coach in that league is doing the same thing, but now he's back to who he is, but we'll get to that. Right. We'll get to that. Kevin, when, when you get that, sometimes when you get put up against the wall, in other words, Hey, it's time to start winning. We're going to stay with you. Obviously they did, but you've got to figure out a way to get this right. Sometimes that forces you to say, F it. I'm going to be myself. It's now or never. You know, I either got to get this right by being me or I'll just go down. I'll go down with it. And what he's done is when he takes a recruit on a visit, he drives them through Newark, New Jersey. And he says, this is what we are. This is who we are. This is not the glamour. We do not have an 80,000 seat football stadium. We do not have, we're not Villanova. We're Seton Hall. This is where you're going to play your games at the Prudential Center in Newark. If you've been around there, you know, you, you kind of know what it's like. And he basically says, we are not the perfect, majestic castle of the university. We are Seton Hall. We're going to breed on toughness, defense, length, and we're going to beat teams the way that we want to play in that, in that not so pretty, but we're going to find a way to win. 
he's embraced what this is and he's embraced who he is. And that's allowed this program to just be who they are. They know who they are. And in college basketball, when you know who you are and you have experience, you're going to win a lot of games in this sport. And that's what Seton Hall has done. I'm sick of the Newark slander on their beaches there. It's beautiful there in Newark. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? Uh, no, it's a tough crew. I, I love their makeup. And you can tell they kind of exude the kind of person that Willard is. Just tougher than shit, in your face, kind of like we're going to – we're going to physically impose yeah. our will on you. And I'm not sure Willard can do that because Willard's not the biggest guy in the world, but his players should shit can. And it, it's a fun – it was a really fun game to watch if you were a hoop head. If you were a hoop head. It was just a grinder all the way down to the bit. They had trouble in the first half with the length. I think that's a big point to – big thing to point out. I think there was a point in the first half where Michigan was up like 14-2 to two in paint points. It was like 20 to 21 or something. Seton Hall shot the piss out of the ball early. And here's the thing. The reason I say Aiken and the reason I say Aiken was he provides, I'm I'm big on this, but change of pace. Agreed. Change of pace because you have all these busy switchable defenders, not really quite the jitterbug that Aiken is when he's like, when he's really feeling himself and he was feeling himself last night, there was a couple of times where he got over there on the 45 and he was kind of toying around with the ball screen and he crosses up and he goes baseline. Like he was, he was feeling pretty good last night. He's that guy who can get into the paint consistently. And I think him being able to do that with quickness, I think Richmond can do it, but he's going to bully you to do it. So you're not going to create as much help because he's still going to have a defender on him. When Aiken was getting by, he was alone for a second. And then he was able to get Diabate to come in, Dickinson to come in, and then things kind of happened. I, I think he's the X factor. Obiagu, you want him to be good enough offensively. You don't need a ton. But I, I think Aiken, yeah. like that, that change of pace is what's going to take them from third or fourth in the Big East to potentially winning the Big East. And I, and I, like, I don't say that lightly because I still think Villanova is very good. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get into the conversation about Villanova in a second. I do want to ask you real quick, uh, To just what, what's your take on Michigan? Are you concerned about them? Was this just no. a, a team with a, a new point guard and two freshmen that kind of struggled a little bit against that physicality? Where do you stand on Michigan right now? Somebody tweeted out that Caleb Houston's good enough to get you beat. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case. I still have faith in him because this is a young player in his third collegiate game playing against some grown-ass men at Seton Hall. So I don't want to write that kid off just yet. I mean, I I still like the makeup of Michigan, and I really like what they bring off the bench. I I love Diabate coming off the bench, guarding the four, switching. His length and athleticism, his ability to slide on the defensive end is really, really good. And a transfer, who is it's Jones, Jones is a transfer before I freaking make myself look like an idiot. That guy, he was he barely six foot tall, 11 points, 12 boards. Tough. He like, made a couple, there were a couple plays down the stretch. There was a turnover in there. Um, yeah, but they're not in that game without like, no, no, like, 100%. 100%. And, and the, the biggest point that I was going to make is that there are some things that they had to clean up in the final minutes of that game. But that right. was more Seton Hall made some plays to, I don't want to say like steal the win, but get a win where Michigan was the better team for probably 32 of the 40 minutes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they, Michigan just has to figure out a way to close games. I think that will come with Caleb Houston. I think that will come as you kind of get the, the, the Diabate kids some more minutes in there. And that will come when you don't have a guy that is bigger than Hunter Dickinson guarding him. But I think also this, this shows why the Big Ten has struggled in the tournament. Yes. Because what happens is if you're low scoring and teams are able to keep it close, you make yourself susceptible no. to losses that are dirty. Like if you look, I, I bring, I feel like I bring this up all the time, but like if you play a slow pace and you find a couple of guys that can hit some shots at the end, Virginia, whenever they lost to UMBC, like if you, if a team makes it ugly and they can shoot the ball, like those games, the margin for error is very, very small. Yep. And with matchup issues that the big 10 has, and it's not just Michigan, Purdue has those matchup issues uh gosh everybody's big in that league like that's why you run into some problems Fanta you were courtside you got anything to say about uh about Michigan any takes yeah I think that this is a team that to go three for 15 from three they never looked in rhythm out on the perimeter um and and they lost the game by two points to a very very good team a team that's that's getting underrated so look Hunter Dickinson in person TV doesn't do this talent justice, you know, and, and I think for Michigan, look, they, they were stunned last night. Like that they played through Dickinson so much in the first half. And then early in the second half, they got him looks, he was rolling guys. He is, he is absolutely incredible um, at making the right reads. I think he's a terrific passer, Hunter Dickinson. I really love the way that he can pass the basketball him and Brooks alone. Michigan's always going to have a chance. Like, that team's not going to get blown out this year. I'd be confident in saying that. Caleb Houston had a freshman night. He had a freshman night that freshmen can have. He shot one of nine from the field. He's going to be fine. That kid oozes with potential. You got to make shots. Last night wasn't his night, you know. But I think Michigan long-term, I still really do trust them. Um, I thought last night was a case where – Seton Hall, second week of the season, motivated as all get out. You know, you better – you get Michigan now, and uh, and you cash in now against these teams. That's the other thing. Like, it's November. That's why these Gavit yeah. games are so valuable. These teams are both going to be different in their own ways in January and February, and who knows what, what happens with Michigan. I thought Michigan's youth showed. I thought their youth showed in this game with how early it is in the season – Big game, bright lights. I thought some of their kids just just had a tough night from the field. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting that there is a lot of turnover on that that Michigan roster in terms of yes. they lost last season and new people coming in. And um, it's just it, sometimes it takes a little while to get that stuff figured out. And again, they played pretty well for the first thirty two minutes, and they just kind of ran into Bryce Aiken getting hot and, and the team really guarding. All right, I want to pivot. Can I say one more thing? Just one more. Just one more. Let's go. You, you said it that you said it the other day. You weren't sure. I can't remember what player it was. You weren't sure if it was so much what Mi- at Seton Hall was doing that Michigan. Who was it? It was Ty Ty Washington. It That's right. Okay, so here Ty Ty as much as it was Duke's defense. Okay, so I'm going to kind of go the same direction with Seton Hall. It's like, well, they couldn't shoot the ball. There's a reason they couldn't shoot the ball. The reason they couldn't shoot the ball is because they didn't have to help as much on Dickinson because Obiago is down there battling his butt off the last little bit. And then on the perimeter, when he's trying to skip out, Seton Hall has so much length to close out that it's going to make it tough, even in catch and shoot situations that are semi open. 
that are semi-open. Like they weren't wide open, like they're going to be in a, against other teams this year, especially with smaller players. But Seton Hall, man, because of that size that we talk about, their ability to close out on shots on the perimeter is like they're going to be not – they're going to be so good defensively all year just because of that length. And, because man, they, they get to spots defensively. Like they're so, they're so fast and athletic and big. And it just it, – it's one thing after another. And they're so switchable, and they close out so quick. Yep. So – Seton Hall won 67 to 65 in Ann Arbor. Uh, that came a night after Marquette won 67 to 66, erasing a 12 point second half deficit and a, I believe it was eight points with five minutes left. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Fanta. Um, but I mean, look, that to me was kind of the quintessential Shaka Smart performance for Marquette, right? Forced 26 turnovers, completely getting the head of Andre Corbello, who I. I have no idea what happened to him down the stretch, but uh, we can kind of get into that a little bit. But before we talk Illinois, I just look, you got to give Shaka his flowers. I mean, that, that guy kind of went through it at Texas, but I think that playing the playing uh, coaching at Marquette, this, this program to me is the perfect fit for who he is as a coach, the program he wants to develop. And if you look at it, T.O. Gottlieb made this point. When we were, when uh, we were on with him on Tuesday night, if you look at the best Marquette teams and the guys that they went after, the Butlers, the Jay Crowders, the Dominic James, the uh, the Wesley Matthews, the um, who there's one other kid, uh, the Jimmy Butler, the Gerald McNeils. I, I Jimmy Butler was the first one. You think I'm going to sleep on Jimmy Butler? Well, you you, you were napping. You were napping. Right. Well, you weren't quite there, but you were taking a nap. You you almost forgot him. Look, if I sleep on Jimmy Butler, he's going to come find me. He's going to help me. <laughs> Never. Gonna, it was Jarrell McNeil, but but that. The, the, the larger point is just that kind of player is the kind of player that shock is going to recruit. It's the perfect fit for him. T.O., I know you played for him when he was at uh, he's an assistant at Clemson. What did you see out of that program? What did you see out of that team? And what did you see out of Marquette uh, on, I guess it was Monday night now. I sent him a text after the game. I was like, man, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. I, there was a point, I think it was before the first media timeout. Fanta, you were there, you saw this, but like, they forced a turnover, and it was like a soft press. They forced a turnover, and Shaka turns around to the crowd and goes berserk. Yeah. And, like, and it was such a culture-defining thing for what he's best at, what he's great at. Like, those guys played insanely hard. And he has them playing full of confidence. They're not going to run a ton of stuff complicated offensively. There's going to be some motion stuff. There's going to be some ball screen stuff but they're going to freaking crawl in you defensively. And what did he do in order to mix that game up a little bit? He took Curbelo out of the game for the first 30 minutes, and then Curbelo took himself out of the game for the last 10 minutes. So they're switching They're switching defenses constantly. They're making it ugly. They're taking shots out. Of the, they're taking uh, 10, 15 seconds out before Illinois could run anything. And they just completely took the game – out of Underwood's hands because they're having to worry about breaking pressure and then getting into offense. And it showed a lot about Illinois, but we're not talking about them yet. I just love the enthusiasm and the passion. I, I When I text him, I was like, man, I'm so happy for you that you get to go back to doing what you're really, really good at. And that's motivating. That's getting guys to play insanely hard. And that's putting pressure on and making the crowd feel like they're part of it. His, his entire the the entire thing that, that makes him 
what he is, is being able to get guys to buy into a bigger cause, to create a family dynamic, to say, hey, look, you're going to play for your brother over there and not just have it be uh, coach B, have it be like the guys on that roster and on that team believe it. If you talk to anyone that played for those VCU teams from, what was it, 2010 to, to 2016, like they, they're all connected. Everybody from every year knows each other. It, it, it's a family dynamic. And I think that that's something that uh, he's going to be able to find a way to build um, at Marquette, it's just get that at Texas. Couldn't yeah. get that. At, you can't get five star kids to press at Texas. Well, the, the the other thing is, it's not just the press. It's that you don't you don't get that continuity. You're never going to be able to have guys stay for three, four, five years when yep. you're out there recruiting players like a uh, like like um, Mo Bamba, and you're recruiting players yeah. that are uh, like the Jackson Hayes. You're recruiting guys that are going to end up being one and dones, two and mm-hmm. dones, Kai Jones players like that. It's just not. It's not going to happen. And it, it kind of limits what your ceiling can be. Cause again, so much of what he does is about getting old, staying old and building that culture. Fanta, you were down, you were there. You were, uh, you were with him before the game. You did a whole bunch of content uh, for the big East digital network down there. So what did you see? You were boots on the ground as I like to actually for you, it's probably loafers on the ground, right? <laughs> loafers on the ground. Yeah. I did, I did pull out the boots. Uh, my loafers on the ground, what they saw uh, was a team that was incredibly connected and a team that, in the second week of the season with so many questions on the offensive end, put those aside and said, you know what, we're just going to defend the hell out of them and we'll take our chances doing that. So Shaka Smart um, was thinking about this game plan and just, just kind of discussing with him and his staff. The, the thought was, okay, do we sit back once they get into the half court and do we allow Curbelo to drive through the lane? Because guess what? If we allow him to do that, if we sit back, he will pick us apart because that's what he can do when he's at his best. They said, you know what? We'll take our chances going at him. We'll take our chances going at him. And if we go at him, it might lead Trent Frazier to some open looks. And guess what? Trent Frazier got open looks, and he was outstanding in this basketball game for the first 30 minutes. But Marquette's will to go at Curbelo. They just sent, like in Lion King, when they send the hyenas after, that's what Marquette did in this game. And I thought that Daryl Morsell showed in this game that he had played Illinois before. And apparently, he had never lost Illinois. And it wasn't going to start on this night. It wasn't going to start on this night. Daryl Morsell played his tail off. He was the leader for Marquette in this game, guys. In 126 career games at Maryland, Morsell never scored 20 points in a single game. He has crossed that mark three straight games at Marquette, and he told me Shaka Smart has inspired him to say, I am going to be that guy, which it's a telling transfer. It really is that Morcell went to Marquette. Somebody texted me beginning of the game and said, why did Morcell go to Marquette? Monday night, they found out why. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about Illinois. Um, T.O., I'm going to go to you in one second, but I do do just want to make the point because it's kind of the elephant in the room. Uh, Kofi, didn't play. Kofi Colbert, first team All American, did not play. Um, don't you don't you negative me out of this Marquette win? I'm a big East. No, guy. no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from Marquette. Um, but I am going to say for Illinois, like I think what his presence provides changes so much. One, it's a pre- uh, pressure release to throw the ball to him in the post and know that you're either going to you're going to get fouled, you're going to get a bucket, or you're going to force a double team that gets the defense moving and can create some closeouts. That takes pressure off of Curbelo to be the lone creator, and he obviously was not doing it well. Um, the other part of it is I think what we saw in the final like eight minutes is uh, Marquette did a really good job of just kind of funneling 
the guys that were driving to Kirk Huat, the, the transfer from Oklahoma, who, I mean, look, to his credit, he played a hell of a basketball game around the rim in the second half. He had a bunch of blocks. He put a couple like that through the backboard against yep. Corbello. Um, and I think that if he was aware that there was a seven foot, 290 pound monster lurking behind him, I don't know if he would have necessarily had as much free range to go do that. So yes, adding a first, this is to say, just, just to get it out there, adding a guy that's a first team all American Illinois fans would have made your team better. We yes. get that. We have to talk about what actually happened on the floor. So T.O., I'm going to you. You played a lot of basketball games. One, have you ever seen a dude just kind of melt down the way that Curbelo did down the stretch? And then two, if you're Brad Underwood, put yourself in his shoes at about five minutes left in that game, and you're kind of in the middle of Curbelo going full Curbelo. You never want to go full Curbelo. <laughs> you never want to go full Curbelo. And like, what do you? How do you go back and change that if you're if you're Brad? Like, is there what? What can you do differently to kind of like stop the bleeding? Well, for, first and foremost, I I don't want to be that guy that really comes down hard on a kid because obviously I I got kicked out of my last college game because I I oh we know we I know. lost that well I know but I'm, I'm, I'm prefacing that story has been told on the field of sixty eight media network. Yeah, I'm prefacing. So, I mean, like, the elbow against Michigan, I get kicked out of my last game. Like, these things happen. Like, mental farts just happen. The manner in which he did it, though, and it wasn't as selfish as what I did, but the manner in which he did it, he couldn't get out of his own way. And one thing that we've talked about, Curbelo, is this emotional. This is an emotional dude, man. Like, he lives, he lives on a high wire. Like he gets really fired up. And then when he's really good, man, he's spectacular. But when he's really bad, you saw what could happen. He could lose you a game and he lost this game. I, I I feel bad for even throwing it on one person, but when you have seven turnovers, four of which were in the last three minutes, I think, I think it's warranted. I will say this. I, I just went back and watched the last few plays. Uh, Illinois still had a timeout. And if you're Underwood, you want to save that timeout towards the end. But you're winning towards the end of that ball game. You have a mental complete breakdown by Curbelo at the end. And I'm not attacking what Underwood decided to do because he's thinking, well, I need to save this in case this game comes close. I need to be able to draw something up. But I, I was wondering, I was like, man, they've got to get a timeout because surely to God, he's not going to keep doing this. And he sure did. And it was like I, I was kind of waiting for something positive to happen to where surely to God, he can't do it again. Did it again. Surely to God, he can't do it again. Did it again. And it was like the, the the presence with Kofi Coburn that that changes that ball screen a little bit more too, because that's a hell of a screen. Like Coleman Hawkins is is a big guy. Omar Payne's a big guy. They're not the physical presence that Coburn is. So I I, I felt bad for the kid because it was one thing after another. But he has to. It, this was a great learning experience. You almost wonder if Underwood's saying like, "Hey, I'm going to let this kid die on his sword right now, so that I can." teach this later, which this is a huge teaching opportunity for him. He's never had to deal with the stress of a packed house. He's never had to deal with fans screaming at him and making fun of his headband. Like they make fun of everything. Like they're, they're unbelievably students. This is a major teaching point for him. He's going to be better because of it. And Illinois is going to be much better because of it. And then when they get Coburn back as well, like the pieces are there for them to still be really, really good. But the, the this was great. It's not this was a great learning experience. Yeah, and it's not always a bad thing 
early in the season when you know you're going to make the tournament to kind mm-hmm. of get your ass kicked a little bit and have yeah. – uh, there are coaches that will tell you that they like having situations like what Illinois just went through just so you can kind of say, hey, look, you did it your way, and we fucking lost at Marquette. So now you're going to do it my way because I don't want to lose anymore. Yes. I don't think that's necessarily – I talked about it a little bit when we had – uh, Doug Gottlieb on with at, on the after dark show after the game, and it was like sometimes this Kentucky team that went undefeated all the way till the Elite Eight, they were winning in spite of development because that team still had a lot of holes, but they were winning. So it was like, well, we're still winning. Maybe we don't have to take care of it as much. This is one of those games that you're going to be able to take a lot from. Yep. For sure. All right, we're going to talk about the top five games that happened last weekend in a second. But before we move on, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they are offering you a two hundred and fifty dollars match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money, John Fanta. With their new rush pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer. It's more secure. And it's more reliable. And with basketball season in full swing, get in on the action now by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the Bet Rivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. All right, we're going to do uh, some quick fire things here. Uh, first and foremost, Villanova, UCLA, overtime, fantastic ball game. Uh, that was one of those ones. I was up until 2 a.m. Then I couldn't fall asleep for about an hour because I was so jacked up after watching that game. Fanta, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Give me your one biggest takeaway from that game. T.O., you're next, and then I'll wrap it up. Tame Jaquez is a winner in every sense of, of that word and, and made so many little plays that helped UCLA. And two, Villanova's lack of depth is something that they have to figure around here as they continue through the gauntlet of the non-conference. Overall, uh, the Cats are a really, really good team. But finding a little bit of depth is what determines if they can be a team that makes it to New Orleans. And guys, I am fascinated to see this upcoming weekend, Mohegan, Villanova, Tennessee, North Carolina, Purdue. If we get Villanova, Purdue... What does Villanova do against Zach Eady and Travion Williams? I... I am so curious to see what would happen in a matchup like that. Those are my thoughts. I will be at those games. I am very excited to uh, to see four great basketball games and to have a night where I can uh, sit at a blackjack table for a little while. It's been a while since I have done that. T.O., uh, give me your biggest takeaway from Villanova, UCLA. I thought Eric Dixon was good, and he did it in spite of being really undersized. So four of 11, not great, but I think he's going to be serviceable. But the lack of depth for Villanova really scares me, especially when they're playing against a lot of length and they're going to need to, and they're going to need to shoot the ball well to be good. And whenever you run into Seton Hall, shout out Seton Hall, South Orange, New Jersey, Big East guy. Whenever you do, whenever you play against that and guys can close out hard, I worry about Villanova a little bit. Gillespie was still good. He was still good, but Gosh, UCLA has a lot of length. And and this is without Peyton Watson playing well. And he's going to get there. But UCLA, every bit the Final Four contender that we thought they were going to be. Yeah, that was that was too much game for Peyton Watson. My biggest takeaway is that I need to eat crow on my take that Villanova's overrated. Um, I think that that game might end differently if it doesn't end at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, Eastern Standard Time. Um I mean, I thought Colin Gillespie was really, really good. I thought that 
Jermaine Samuels was fantastic. Uh, feels like Justin Moore is kind of taking a little bit of a step forward as well. You're right about the depth, um, but I think that they do have pieces on their bench to be able to kind of do a job. But again, kind of like Peyton Watson, uh, a lot of those guys are young and stepping into newer roles. And I just think that it was too much, uh, too much of a game, too big of a game, too big of a moment, too much going on. I mean, look, you had grown men, yeah, all I, over, I, 22 and 23 year olds all over that court. It's very hard to ask an 18 year old in his second college basketball game to step in and have that kind of an impact in that kind of environment in that kind of a matchup. So uh, I think, I think Villanova is very, very, very good. Uh, I don't know if they're going to win the big East because Seton hall is, is, is awesome, but uh, yeah, I need to eat crow a little bit on uh, my Villanova. Hey, hey, hey. hey, hold on a second now. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you're saying this about Seton Hall, who's preseason five and preseason rankings don't mean much, but just saying, you know, like we got to acknowledge the fact now, what does this mean? You got UConn who's already ranked. We haven't seen them get a major test yet. That's going to come next week when they face Auburn. I am very intrigued by that game. You I'll got be to- at that game. Yeah, that's right. You will be on the ground for us tonight. You got you got Villanova here. We know about Seton Hall has emerged. Uh, you've got Connecticut, and I don't think that 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 even tells the full story of the Big East because again, there's still four Gavit games to go. I think I think somebody's going to make a statement on Wednesday night in Assembly Hall. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. And I will say this about the Big East: every single night is going to be a fist fight because. Yep. St. John's is coached by Mike Anderson. We know how Mike Anderson likes to play. Shaka Smart is bringing Havoc back. He's making that popular again. Seton Hall, want, they, Seton Hall wants to win the fight, and if they win the fight, then they'll probably win the basketball game. That's the way they play. <laughs> Dan Hurley, he doesn't play all that different from what Kevin, uh, Kevin Willard wants to do. Um, who I, Did I miss someone? Um, who am I blanking on? Well, you, I mean, you got a you – a situation where you got, of course, Jay Wright, Ed Cooley's teams are gonna are gonna yeah, grind. Ed Cooley, yeah, Ed Cooley, because they they went into uh, they went into Wisconsin. Oh, better, I didn't even mention that. So I couldn't watch that whole game, man. I, I felt sorry for Cooley. Gosh, going in there and playing Wisconsin and then having to. And they out physical them. They out physical Wisconsin. Wisconsin has won eighty five percent of their games the Cole Center and Ed Cooley in Providence. Here, here in the Big East, you have the preseason seven. Um, nine, you got Providence was seven, Marquette was nine, Creighton was eight. You know, Nebraska didn't look good. The fact is, when the bottom of your league is getting wins, that determines what's a good league. Does the bottom have some wins? Do you have a good bottom? Yeah. You you have a great bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Hey, let me, let me say this. I was so impressed, like, with the coaching. Like I was watching Nebraska Creighton, like I really I realized like those are two bottom feeders in both conferences. Like they are this year anyway. This year. I don't think Creighton's overly talented. I think they're gonna get beat up by a lot of teams. Man, the difference between McDermott and Hoyberg. Oh yeah. yeah. Like yep, yep. World of difference. Like Nebraska's come down, either isolation, Jack, one exactly. pass Jack. Here comes here comes Creighton pushing it right down their throat, creating a closeout, ball swinging sides, they're, they're going baseline, they're swinging the ball, they're shooting yep. like uh, night and day, night and day difference. <laughs> Hoiberg, and I like I like Hoiberg, he got completely outclassed X's and O's against Creighton, completely outclassed. Greg McDermott has won nine of his last ten. Now uh, Creighton's won nine of ten against Nebraska. 
Okay. I got to what if there's if there's anything I'm learning right now is that I got the best ass on the field of 68. <laughs> you do, you do, Fancy. You do. We got we got an up close and in person view of that uh, when we were at Four Leanies the other night. All right, <laughs> Next top five battle: Texas went into Gonzaga and got their tails kicked. Uh, they were down by twenty at halftime. I think the final score ended up being twelve. Drew Timmy put up 37. He looks unbelievable. Chet Holmgren didn't really have all that much of an impact. And Texas was missing uh, Dylan. I don't even, is it DeSue? DeSue, DeSue, DeSue. DeSue, who is probably their, uh, their, their best transfer and the best big guy. And, and I think the most important piece that they have in that front court and kind of the guy that might've been able to change things for him. Uh, so T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. What was your biggest takeaway from Gonzaga's win over Texas? I don't think it's... I don't think it's just Texas, but I think teams that went transfer heavy are going to take a minute. That was my biggest takeaway. Like, like Beard's trying to coach winning stuff. Uh, they were small. Without Desu there, they were small. There were times when Timmy Allen was handling the ball, playing the five. Like, they were really small. It worried me. Gonzaga, Drew Timmy, he came in as preseason national player of the year by a lot of outlets. He's probably that. I mean, it was – and how many how many teams are really going to be able to stop Drew Timmy in the post? That dude is a clinician in there. Whether it be there was a couple of moves he would get doubled. What what I say? Is clinician a word? Yeah, he put on a clinic. The clinician. Yeah, I, put, I, I, I made that a noun. I made that a noun. Even if it's not there, you're welcome. You can no. put that on a t-shirt. You make all these t-shirts. You can put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> so like he was he was uh, there was a couple of times where they would double and he would step through the double and then finish on the other side of the rim. Like, <laughs> that's such a hard move, and you have to be so strong. And, you know, that funky jump shot he has, if he just hits it at 15 feet, he'll be fine. Uh, Chet Holmgren, that, he's in a weird situation, man. Because, like – You made you made this point. I'm going to I'm gonna talk on Chet, so let's save that. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm done. I think Gonzaga's terrific. I think the biggest difference in the game, quite frankly uh, – Gonzaga's two best players for their team right now are Nimbard and, and Timmy, and they've been in that system for a year. Beard's coaching all new guys. Yep. So he's trying to teach winning stuff, and it's going to take a second for Texas. I'm not losing faith in Texas. I think they're going to be very good. I just – the difference was the consistency in their approach. They've only had, what, a few months. Gonzaga's had a few years. It's going to take some time with them. All right, give me your biggest takeaway from that game, Fanta. Uh, that Drew Timmy's the best player in college basketball. That's my biggest takeaway. That's it. That's all you got. Just boom right there. Yeah, boom right there. I mean, look, that, that's the fact. You know, I think Rasir Bolden helps Gonzaga too in a big way. I mean, that that was the other one. Like, if, if you want me to go in depth on it, Rasir Bolden made shots for this team. He benefits in their system. Um, you know, he's a guy. Look, he was a big time. He was a good scorer at Iowa State. Now you come to Mark Few. Mark Few just enhances that with the way that they run offense. Yep. Um, Nemhard kind of got overshadowed last year by the superstar sexy power of Jalen Sucks. But Andrew Nemhard's still a really – I mean, he's an outstanding point guard. And, and the way that he's able to direct – the fact that they were just giving the ball to Timmy at will. And i got to tell you, what I love about Chet Holmgren is he doesn't let the fact that he's not scoring the basketball impact the way that he plays the game. He's going just as hard defensively and being physical. He doesn't have to touch the ball to make an impact. And that's why he is someone that absolutely can be walking up to that podium at number one, number two, whatever it is on draft night, he's going to get paid. Just because Chet Holmgren looks a little scrawny to you folks doesn't mean that he doesn't embrace physicality. He loves physicality. 
He gets after it physically. And that's what's different about him. I, I think that Gonzaga got if, – if, if Baylor isn't the buzzsaw that they are, and again, if, if the queen had balls, she'd be the king. But still, Gonzaga, the amount of power conference opponents that they've now beaten, with the exception of one night where the Baylor Bears and Davion Mitchell were just absolutely not going to lose to anybody, to most college basketball teams in the history of the freaking sport that night. Gonzaga is the best program in America, and it's going to continue to be because Mark Few recruits outstanding size. He knows how to work the portal. They have everything going on, and they showed why there's a number one next to their name. And I love the fact that they schedule people. I do not want to hear that, that you know, when they're going through the WCC, that they're rolling and that this is so easy for them. Look, it, it's different. But the fact is, they do control everything they can in their non-conference, and they show in these games just how damn good they are. They can cut down the nets this year. It kind of gives me North Carolina 2016-2017 vibes. In 2016, they got beat on a freak buzzer beater. In 2017, they bounced back. Gonzaga comes closer. The bridesmaid again. This is the year that the Zags can finally do it and cut down those nets. Yeah, I think that was my takeaway too because, you know, we talked about how um, Seton Hall still has room to grow with Kadari Richmond, and we talked about how Michigan still has room to grow with Caleb Houston. Well, we still haven't seen Chet Holmgren be anything close to the guy that he can be. Now, um, I I am a little bit more concerned about him than I think the consensus is just because I'm worried about the high center of gravity. I'm worried about the physicality. I don't think that he is as smart on the defensive end or as uh, what's the, like dexterous or mobile on the perimeter as someone like an Evan Mobley is. And even Evan Mobley had an extra 30 pounds um, compared to what Chet Holmgren is checking in at right now. But his length is just going to, it's going to be a game changer at the rim. And as long as he's kind of, able to play free safety. You know, you put uh, you put Drew Timmy on the other team's big guy. You put Chet Holmgren on whoever the other team's worst player is that he can just kind of ignore. Let him play free safety around the rim, a la Herb Jones last year for Alabama. That, that changes things defensively for Gonzaga. And I think that defensively is they need to be – they need to be – closer to the elite level on the defensive end than they've been in the past to be able to win a national title. And I think they are going to be the season. So we'll see what happens with Chet, but I, I will say this. I think he has to be, he was, he was, he was good against Texas. I think that he, if they're going to take that leap and win the national titles with the way that we've seen Duke play and Kansas play and some of these other teams around the country play, I think that he has to be a lead. All right. I want to end it with this. The one team that you have been the most, Impressed by, we each got 30 seconds on this one. And the one team you've been, uh, you're still waiting to see more from. Fanta, I'm going to you first. One team you've been most impressed by, you got 30 seconds. Woo! Oh, man. Um, I'm sorry. Let's see. One team I've been most impressed by. You can't say Seton Hall because we already talked plenty about Seton Hall. Yep, yep. Can I I go? I'll tell you what. BYU, man. BYU. Blowing the doors off of Oregon. Mark Pope. Is doing a terrific job. Um, Barcelo's a really, really quality player who is so composed. And I love BYU. I love everything about them. That team, you do not want to see them in the NCAA tournament in your region. That team could very well make the Sweet 16. They're dangerous. All right, T.O., who you got? Give me Florida. Man, they seminole the Seminoles. Like, I, I didn't know I could turn that into a verb. I'm making up words on this show, apparently, and I'm going to do it again. 
Man, the Gators were impressive. Colin Castleton, against all the athletes that Florida State had, had 15 points, 16 boards, six blocks. The pressure really bothered Florida State, and the fact that they overwhelmed Florida State was really impressive. Mike White's got some dudes over there that can really guard. I think Florida State's a sneaky SEC pick. I'm going to go with with Tennessee. I think that – Kennedy Chandler. Now, look, they, they haven't really been tested. Tennessee Martin is whatever. And East Tennessee State, I know they got uh, they got Dez coaching that program now. Um, but I don't think that it's it, it, it's going to take a little while for him to get that thing back to where it was when Forbes uh, was running the show. Um, and we're going to have a much better feel for what Tennessee is after they get uh, Villanova on Saturday. But, I mean, look, he is what this, this team has been missing for a couple of years now, a guy that can get in the lane, that can create. They have people that can finish it all around the court, whether it's Fulkerson at the rim, whether it's Josiah Jordan-James, whether it's a bunch of shooters that they have. They put up more than 90 points in each of their first two games. The offense is much, much, much better than it was last year. Change uh, pace. Yeah. So, we're, I mean, we're going to – they haven't been tested yet, but from what I've seen early on, I think that there's a chance that they could end up being really good. All right, T.O., uh, I'm going to give you the most uh, – I, I don't want to say disappointing because that feels like slander, but I'm going to say the team that you're still waiting to see more from is the way I want to phrase it. I'm going to say disappointing, Virginia. Okay, yeah, go dis- go disappointing. Go all in. Yeah, disappointing, Virginia. Losing to Navy at home and then getting absolutely their doors blown off by Houston. And Houston's really good, don't get me wrong, but we're used to seeing at least it, it, even bad Virginia teams compete under Tony Bennett, and they didn't even compete. Yep. All right, who you got, Fanta? I'm disappointed in the Pac-12. You know, I thought that they could capitalize off of last year's momentum in March. Um, I, I just, beyond, you know, I, I think that this league has a couple of good teams, but I think that it might be a little bit top-heavy this year. You know, I don't think that they have the depth of teams. And I thought that the Pac-12 could be heading in the right trajectory. They've had some results in this opening week that are a little bit mind-boggling. Um, so I, I would say I'm disappointed in the Pac-12 thus far because I thought that they had a position where they could move off the momentum. And again, you got to capitalize this time of year. You do not make your hay. You do not get bids in January and February. You get your bid in November and December. You got to get these wins. And as we get feast week going, remember, folks, you might be thinking it's November. It's a long way from March, but these, these games matter. They matter in a very, very big way. Yeah, it matters for you. And like we touched on earlier, it matters for the conference as a whole. Um, I think for me, the, the team that I've kind of been disappointed with is Oklahoma state. And there, there's, there's very understandable reasons why they've kind of gotten off to a, a flat start for the season. So I don't blame anyone, but it just, the whole, that whole situation sucks. And I just, if, if the worst thing that happens out of this is me highlighting it again, they got absolutely royally. Uh, I'm not even, I'm not going to say it, but you know what I'm saying? So um it, it just sucks the situation that Oklahoma state has found themselves in. And I just, I feel for Mike, I feel for that program. I feel for those kids. It's not fair. Uh, but listen, we've been here for, I think it's about 55 minutes now. Uh, it's noon. Fanta has got a place to go. He's got places to be. He's got people to see. He's got unbelievable, beautiful, this guy. beautiful Providence, Rhode Island to go visit. True story. Um, I grew up about an hour and 15 minutes from Providence. I don't know a single person that has had a night out in Providence that it didn't end up in a fight somewhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> <There> you go. <laughs> no fights in Providence. T.O., thanks for being here, guys. See you again.